Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Friend and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Teamwork is what wins in economic development. Collaboration between local, community, regional, and even state-level partners is critical. If you can't work together, your results will be less than desirable. But remember, projects begin and they end locally in any community. Our next guest joins us all the way from Kalamazoo, Michigan, where he is the senior partner and chief executive officer of Southwest Michigan First, an economic consulting firm which includes Consultant Connect and C2 Consulting. Ron Kitchens is also the founder of the Leadership Conference Catalyst University and the co-founder of NEXT, an invitation-only leadership symposium for global economic development leaders. Now, under Ron's leadership, Southwest Michigan First has been named to the list of the national best and brightest companies to work for for five years running and was previously recognized as the best small business to work for in America by the National Association of Business Resources. He is the author, co-author of three books, including the bestseller Community Capitalism, Lessons from Kalamazoo, and he has more books on the way. And if this wasn't enough, somehow he also finds the time to host the Always Forward Leadership Podcast. Welcome, Ron Kitchens. Hey, thanks. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm surprised you found the time to come uh, sit down with us because you have a lot going on in your life. I uh, I do, but uh, to be really honest, um, two of my favorite people in the world are Gray and Mary Swope. And you mentioned um, Next, that I was co-founder. I co-founded that with uh, Gray. And with Joan Jorgensen of Jorgensen Consulting, the headhunter. And so um, when Mary asked if I could come, it was like, well, I'm going to be in Las Vegas the day before. How long can that flight be? Well, I'm telling you, it's a long <laughs> way from here to there. But I, uh, I would not miss it. We're very, uh, frankly, privileged to have you here because you bring a lot of experience. And I think we've got a lot of great things to talk about. This podcast focused on economic development. My favorite people in the world are economic developers. And starting at that 30,000 view, why is economic development even important? So I believe fundamentally, if I was going to get a tattoo, it would say the greatest force of change is a job. You know, a job is the greatest force of change. When we look at the data from Harvard, it's very clear that you know a job, the first thing it does is give you self-esteem. It changes your walk. They can physically tell how people's body language is after about three weeks of employment. But more importantly than that, after about 18 weeks, it literally changes your brain chemistry, which I find amazing. I don't find it shocking, but I find it amazing that we can track this, that you begin to quit defining yourself by your past. I grew up in abject poverty. Neither of my parents finished the sixth grade. My father suffered from the same kind of dyslexia that I have. It was just never diagnosed. He had to get his wallet out to spell his name or get his driver's license out of his wallet to spell his name. So to grow up in that world, the only difference that I have versus other people is my ability to create a job and to work in an employment that no longer do I define myself by you know, where I'm from. My brain actually has been changed, and we know that. Harvard's data tells us that. But more importantly, after about three years, your brain begins to change again, and your ability to plan long-term for your own life, house purchases, you begin to plan your child's education. You begin to have an optimism about your life that I think is what we normally call the American dream. 
So a job is an amazing thing, but it takes great economic developers, takes men and women who are so committed. That's, that's really why I do what I do now. Um, you know, I represent communities, but I really am about, my passion is about men and women who are amazing and changing the world. At the local level, I mean, an economic developer, you know, they're all a little different. Uh, if you've seen one, you've seen one. <laughs> it, it, how do you find those commonalities in teaching them some of these leadership skills and uh, putting them in a position to succeed by creating opportunities for their communities? What do you do to work with them? I think the uh, and when we work with economic developers, it you know, and I've been in I've been a sole practitioner. I actually started in economic development um, because I re- realized I was twenty years old. And I looked around and realized none of my friends could come home. I'm from the Ozark Mountains on the Missouri-Arkansas border from a little town. It's not so little anymore, but at the time it was Ozark, Missouri, 100 kids, 113 kids in my graduating class kind of place. I looked around and thought none of my friends could come home. And I didn't know what to do about it. I knew I was angry. I felt lonely. I was going to college you know, 20 miles away part-time, and I uh, owned convenience stores. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur by heart. And so I ran for city council. There was a, a race for city council. I spent six years. Um, I won by a landslide each time. I want that pointed out. <laughs> now, the fact is nobody ran against me, but a landslide's a landslide. A win is what counts. And so, you know, I realized that I didn't really care much about governance. I cared a lot about the power that local government partnered and collaborating with philanthropy and the private sector can have to create jobs. But I realized if somebody doesn't get up every day and do all the blocking and tackling, it's never going to happen. So, you know, I've really committed, you know, this phase of my life and I think the future to building and growing uh, and really pouring into amazing men and women who I, I think as a nation, our future is going to be in a lot of ways based on the ability of communities to develop and grow great economic developers who can then grow great communities. The same as none of us expect a college football team to do well without a incredible head coach. Your economy and your community is not going to do well without an incredible economic developer. What are some of those base qualities? You talked about the passion. They want to get up every day and they want to do this. They want to win. What else do they need to have? Uh, They have to be hungry to learn because your community, there is no one in your community. And I'm amazed by this every day, but it's validated for me. There's no one in the community that has a Rolodex as large as yours. I, I, it's not every day that happens, but it's once a week that I will get a senior business leader call me for an introduction to another senior business leader that I would assume you people know each other. How can you not? But people who are in business a lot of times get stuck in their own worlds. So we have the relationships to introduce people together. So we have to be hungry for relationship development. We have to be hungry to constantly learn. No one else has a responsibility in your community to understand all of the aspects of business and all of the impediments to their growth. And you've got to be hungry to solve and eliminate those barriers. Economic developers have also got to be people who are the most open to change because the status quo was created to ensure mediocrity. 
That's what it does. That's what status quos do is they create the average. They create mediocre. Nobody gets up every day and says, oh, I'm so glad I live in a mediocre place. It just doesn't happen. So an economic developer has to be willing to push the boundaries. And sometimes that's pushing back against governmental policy. Sometimes it's pushing back against societal norms. Sometimes it's just pushing back against foolish bias. You know, I spoke to a large group in Las Vegas at the International Economic Development Council's a meeting there. In part of my talk, I got a question about millennials. Well, let me be really clear. If you're an economic developer who in any way is bad-mouthing at, uh, millennials, um, either I give you one week to change. If you don't change, please go find a different job because you're wrong. The millennials are, I believe, have the possibility of being the greatest generation ever. And they certainly are going to be the greatest generation since World War II. Uh, the data is clear. They work um, on average about 70 hours a week. Data is clear. They're passionate. The best economic developers who are ever going to exist are millennials. I'm telling you, because they believe in mission more than anything. They didn't fall into economic development. These are people who got up and said, I want to make a change in the world, and that's the place I want to plug in to do it. So it's a completely different world. So I have a team that's more than half millennial. They are amazing men and women, and they're driven, but they also expect to be challenged. Don't sit them in the corner and say, you know, hey, do this for 30 years. You know, I early in my career was asked to look at go, to go into banking. And the bank president, who I really, really respected, sent me down and said, and I'm, um, it's not exactly how he said it, but this is what he <laughs> meant, was, okay, you're going to spend 30 years. You're going to work your tail off. We're going to pay you terrible. And at the end of 30 years, we're then going to make you rich, and you're going to get to do community volunteering, and you'll run for the school board, and you'll do all of those things. Well, I, at that point, why do I want to wait to have impact and influence? And millennials don't either. So economic developers ought to get up every day and say, I want to empower millennials to change the community. I want to be not even their coach. I want to be the general manager of the team. And if you can do that, the power of your community explodes. What you're really talking about is identifying talent and not letting biases. It doesn't matter what age. Judgment. Or, yeah. or, you know, I'm a... I'm a, I am I grew up in IBM dress world, so blue suit, white shirt, brown or black shoes, red or blue tie. And, uh, you know, so we're not doing a little – and, you know, I have a, had a private office. We built our new offices 10 years ago, and I have a massive private office. I haven't been in that office in eight years. It now houses six members of our team are in that space. And we're moving in a new space that's completely open, and you get to work in pods however you want. But we're also going to genes and because that's how they're more productive. And in the end, all I care about is changing the brains of men and women in our community through great employment, through the power of a job. The executive director of the Mississippi Development Authority, my good friend Glenn McCullough Jr., uh, likes to say, in Mississippi, when we're creating opportunities, we're not creating just jobs. We're trying to create a career. And I think that really sings to your approach with millennial workforce and that they want to believe in what they're doing and working towards something and having that mission and being challenged. Yeah. So, you know, I think a great analogy is that uh, I, I went to um, went to UCLA for a graduate executive program um, on, on board management to become accredited as an accredited board member of a public corporation. 
wanted to understand how that worked, and I wanted to know the responsibilities. And one of the lessons I came away with that was the idea of an activist investor. You know, the a lot of big corporations are scared of activist investors. These are people who come in and they're invested in your company and they say, you know what, you're underperforming. You're not using your assets to maximize the impact that they should have. Well, in corporate world, that's profit. If we look at economic developers as activist investors, our job is to say, where are people being underutilized? How could we just pour a little more resource in to help get more value for people and for our community? What are the sites and buildings that are underutilized? What's the community capacity that we're selling that ought to bring higher value, higher sales in? And that seems a little transactional, and I don't mean it that way. But if we look at the idea that uh, Singapore is a great example. Singapore is a small island nation and is one of the most amazing economic stories. But what they have done there, and I've been several times to study them and we've done a bunch of deals there, but they're at full they're always at full employment. They have very little ability for immigration because of the size of the country. So what they do is when they acquire a new company comes into Singapore, they're growing, it has to be at a higher skill and wage level than the average in the nation. And so they bring that in, and then they move a low-skill, low-wage out of the country. Literally, they move it to Malaysia and say, because we're only interested in elevating and pouring into people, and we understand we have finite resources. They can do that because of the way their governance works, but we can do that in a lot of ways in our communities. We don't have to settle, but if it's people first and not companies first, not government first, not institutions first, but if our role as economic developers say, I want my neighbor to have more and better jobs, if that's our function, then it becomes pretty easy to know exactly what our behaviors are supposed to be. Is the recruitment tactic changing? You know, it used to be you went out, you meet with the company, uh, you actively recruit them if they've requested information, uh, respond to that. But is that changing also with generational changes? It's it's smarter. You have to have more data up front. So, it it you know when I first started, you know, thirty five years ago now, um, you know, you hoped that something came over the transom, and then you know that you could take a shot at. Then it became that you could get a little more aggressive, and you go to trade shows. Well, now it's about relationships. You know, we're, it's very rare these days, unless it's some crazy thing like Amazon or one of the auto guys, that it's a big competition. Mostly it's, they've already done the research. They know where those key four, five, six, seven places are in the nation that would meet their needs. My job as an economic developer is to know which companies will meet my needs. Who are the companies that have the highest and best opportunity to locate that can utilize the resources that I have? And then I have to go have a relationship with them in advance of that. So one of the fo- our areas of focus for Southwest Michigan First is on design. So we target companies with large design departments or independent design firms that are designing computer products. We have the third highest concentration of designers um, in America in our region. 
And so we know every decision maker in the country on design. We know what their companies are doing. We're tracking their stocks. I, you know, with the world of LinkedIn and, and all the social media, I know what country clubs they're in. You know all these things. So you can develop that. So they know what opportunities we have before they know they have a need. So we're getting opportunities to help them expand where we're usually just competing against expanding in place or setting up a new location. And then there's the site selector world that, uh, you know, depending on whose data you believe, we interview um, three to 400 site selectors every year. And uh, that we're asking all those questions that everybody wants to know. And what we know is the average site selector four years ago was doing about seven deals a year. Uh, last year, the average was 13. So they've almost doubled. So when you talk to one person, you're talking to 13 companies. And site selectors tend to focus in specific areas. And so we focus our efforts, but we also, through Consultant Connect, help organizations, states, individuals, uh, places, a couple of countries, focus their efforts around that. So you have to be proactive there, too, to get shots on goal. It is harder work, and you've got to be smarter, and your research isn't just what your unemployment is, your average education, you have to know, you have to put yourself in the seat of that company. And keeping in mind that the average real estate executive, I have a, a friend who um, who did all of Toyota's deals in America until three or four years ago. Well, you think that's huge. All of Toyota's deals, that was seven. Mm-hmm. He did seven projects in his entire career. Most corporate real estate people will do two in their career. So a bad decision on their part is a career killer. So it's your job to minimize their risk, which means you have to be as big an expert on their business as they are. So we're looking at the recruitment side. Let's look at the back end of this and successful recruitment of projects. Are we measuring the right things? I tell people all the time, at the end of the day, at the state level of economic development, we essentially get judged on two things, the amount of jobs we announce and the amount of corporate investment we announce. And it's an aggregate number. We track it by calendar year. It can also break it out in many other ways. But is that an outdated metric? And should we be measuring ourselves and looking at success in a different way? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's the hard part. Uh, I have worked in the federal, state, local levels of economic development. I um, We're a private organization now. Less than 2% of our funding comes from any form of governmental contract because, you know, elected officials, you can go back to Thomas Jefferson, have been running for office based on jobs and economic growth. Well, nobody can define that. If you're a local city councilman and you're from a district, you mean jobs in your district. You mean jobs, you know, three blocks from your house. If you're a governor, you mean jobs in your state. Maybe you have a passion for a particular area. So I think you have to change it and you have to humanize it. You know, we're at a time that uh, in our nation, it's all-time unemployment uh, or low unemployment numbers. You know, and podcasts are not supposed to like be date specific, but you know, the president's you know State of the Union was last night, and the numbers are really amazing where we're at, which makes it really hard to do economic development because then the elected officials go, well, "What do we need you for? I want to go put the money in parks, or I want to do something fun with it." So economic development and job growth is a cycle. And so 
what we have to do as economic developers is focus on the human impact stories. You know, in today's world, we give based on um, and support based on the impact it has on the individual life. One of my favorite organizations in the world is Charity Water. And if you, anybody knows Charity Water, Scott Harrison is a great friend of mine. But Scott, you know, for my birthday, um, my friends and family, we chipped in and I got a well for my birthday. Well, I get a report every month that tells me how many liters of water came out of that well. How many more uh, young women are in school um, today than there were before my well because they're not walking uh, in this case, six hours a day to get water so they can go to school. I know how many babies didn't die because of uh, lack of fresh water because our well provides that now. I know about those key human indicators. Now, it would be really easy for Scott to say, hey, you know, we built wells and in the aggregate we generated millions of gallons of water every year. And that's all true, but it's not it's not going to light the, my fire in my soul. You know, Scott called tomorrow and said, hey, Ron, I need another well dug. And he, he needs lots of wells dug. But I need you to personally lead on that. I would, I would move heaven and earth to do that for him. Because of that level that I know I'm having impact on the individual. So folks that want to focus on just those big things, they're missing it. You will not be around a few years from now. Because it's just frankly not sexy enough and millennials aren't interested at all in supporting these kind of anomalous things. That's why United Way donations are down. That's why you know big donations that are non-crisis related, Red Cross, that's why those things are down. There's more millennials in the workforce today than baby boomers. And they want to know they're having impact. They want to see it. They want real reports on it. Or they just want a text to give. And you can't support economic development and community growth on texting to give. You can only do that by storytelling on the real impact you're having. And so um, another great organization in Atlanta is Plywood People. They won't tell you they're an economic development organization. They're a community-based economic development organization. But go to their website. Look at the stories they tell about people and the change they're having. Never once do they talk about investment. You know, elected officials, tax collectors care about investment. I do not care at all about investment. I care about jobs and changing people's lives. Transformation. Absolutely. An important aspect of the local economic developer is, you know, know your assets, but you're also a marketing person. Mm -hmm. You have to market the unique assets that your community has. How's that also changing now? You've got to be collaborative. You've got to be a jack of all trades. You do. You have to be. It's the best job in the world. You have the biggest Rolodex. You have access to uh, amazing people. You know, a good economic developer who's been in the business just a little while has the direct line, if not to the governor, to the governor's chief of staff, and they get their phone calls returned. The biggest CEOs in their state, in their regions, they have direct access to them. The, the local elected officials, the mayor returns their call, calls for advice. We have so much ability to impact and influence people, but with that comes great responsibility. And that's responsibility to lead. And too many people think, uh, you know, Willie Nelson has a great quote that said, leadership is finding a parade and getting in front of it. 
That's not what leadership is. In economic development world, leadership is making sure you're the most knowledgeable. If there's something you don't know, you know where to find it. To make sure that you're transparent, to make sure that you're enabling. You know, you can't hide things anymore. You, you know, it just, it's impossible. And, you know, if the FBI can't hide memos they wrote that are supposed to be confidential, you don't stand a chance of doing that. So quit trying. Too many times economic developers live in this world, and now I'm going to yell at y'all, so be ready here, because some of you are going to shut this off now, and I'm going to apologize, but I'm going to yell at you. Lazy economic developers hide in the, oh, I can't tell you anything, it's confidential. Well, I have done thousands of deals, and the number of those things that are confidential in the end is minuscule. Now, we will defend to the end other people's financial data, but there, everything else I know we're going to share, including all of our own information, we make everything transparent. On a given year, we'll have between 50 and 60 economic development groups that'll come visit us to do best practices with our team, and we share everything because there's no reason to hide it, and it makes you the best so don't live in a fear mentality of, well, I can't tell anything because I may be held accountable to that. You're going to be held accountable anyway. Just share it all. Do you share on the front end during the active recruitment process as well? We share everything the company will allow us to. You know, you we still see a few um, deals that are so ultra confidential that, the you know, they've got code names. And that's what we tell the company. If If you don't want it, to be known, then give us a code name. Don't tell us that because I'm going to, for me to do a great job, I got to bring in lots of partners. I had to bring in lots of people to make sure I'm meeting your needs. So I can't control everything they're going to do. So let's control what we can. But the reality is, as well, you know, if, if somebody finds out we're working it, they may come in and try to compete for it. Dude, the company is smart enough. Yeah, you weren't their only choice. And, you know, the neighbor next door already got eliminated or the company would be talking to them. So um, play smart. You know, you don't want to self-inflict wounds, but don't live in this fear. And most of the time, the fear is based around accountability. Well, not being transparent will be the greatest accountability factor that kills the career of economic developers over the next decade because millennial leaders, Generation X leaders aren't going to tolerate it because they just won't tolerate that. You know, they grew up oversharing. So if, if, you know, if you got gray hair and say, well, we can't tell you that, you know, I was actually just in a meeting where an economic developer told the long standing mayor of this community, oh, we can't tell you that, you know, that's, you just committed career suicide. You can get away with it now, but this guy's going to remember that. Millennial generation entering the workforce and uh, actively involved. There are next generation of economic developers, and there also are next generation, you know, there are current workforce. How are we marketing to them and retaining them? Because we see in Mississippi, which is a state of less than 3 million people, uh, a lot of our younger generation, they're going elsewhere for opportunities. What's, you know, it's probably not a magic solution for, for this, but what is working around that you have seen that's retaining this top talent? Well, the first thing is you get Nick Saban. 
So <laughs> if we look at the state of Alabama and the growth of the University of Alabama, it's Nick Saban. They've doubled the size of that university. So, uh, you know, national championships are, are, would help. But the truth is, if you look around the country, the places that shouldn't particularly be doing well that are – um, are doing it by embracing millennials and creating a opportunity to serve. If they're not in the room and part of decision making, they're going to go places that they are. So, you know, it's not enough, you know, just to be cool. We're going to these new offices that are really amazing and engaging and they got a fireplace and you got soft furniture and, you know, you can do all of those things. But if then I hold meetings and they're not in the room, then they're still going to leave our organization. As I was sharing earlier, we have 30 employees on our team or 30 staff members. We're getting ready to go to 60 or so in the next 18 months. But when I look at the management team, which is five people, um, there are there's one baby boomer, two Generation X, and two millennials on that team. Now, the other, I happen to be the only man on that team, and there's a lot of days I get up and think, think thank God I got here first because I'm not sure these people would hire me. <laughs> but everybody on our team sees themselves represented in that, in their age, in their gender, in um, understanding the cultural issues. So I, uh, you've got to focus on engagement. You know, as you mentioned on the intro, you know, uh, Outside Magazine has three times named us. You know. Uh, the best places to work in America, twice in the top 20. And um, we don't do that because it's, you know, another cool award. We do that because that's a publication that focuses on Generation X and millennials and the lifestyle that's important to them. So if I can build an organization that they validate as um, reasonable and meeting the expectations of that core group of people, then I'm going to be able to get an amazing group of team members who then go out and serve our community, and they can take those cultural nuances out into the community. And that's what economic developers have to remember. If not you, who? If not you and your organization making the community great, bringing the best practices there, bringing highly engaged people, talking about this next generation of people, who's going to talk about that? And those places that are die are going to be those that don't open up the door to everyone who wants to be in the room to lead. Now, there still has to be leaders who make decisions. Ultimately, I have to be responsible to make a decision. But the truth is we now can go so much faster because everybody, um, you don't have to get your way, but you do have to be heard. And that's the new difference in community and organizational growth. People have to get heard or they will be heard. There's too many social media channels that if you don't give them a voice, they're going to grab a megaphone from somewhere else and um, and their emotions will take over. Do you think it's a challenge now? Um, you know, it's a politically charged environment where we're not respecting all opinions and input. It is hard. And um, and as a, as a senior leader, um, it's my job to help teach the next generation that I have influence around on um, how to be civil, how to disagree without being disagreeable, how to have an opinion and without um, without 
uh, having this, you know, kill your opponent who disagrees with you. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I got great advice early in my uh, career from a leader I truly respect who said, you know, you got to remember the, these, the people who are disagreeing with you aren't your enemy. They aren't your competition we're all on the same journey together. They just have a difference of opinion on what map we should use. But in the end, we all want the same thing. So does it really matter what map we use if we all get there together? Probably not. Let's just focus on you know my belief again that the greatest force of change is a job. I've never met anybody who didn't disagree with that. The transformative power of a job, economic developer, author, speaker, podcast host, and apparently future tattoo recipient, <laughs> Ron Kitchens. Thanks for joining us, Man, Ron. Thanks for having me. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.